The reading this morning will be taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, reading from verses 13 to 23. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples record what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Thank you, Richard. So we're continuing our theme of discovering Jesus and looking at the various ways in which different people encountered Jesus over the weeks. And our theme this morning is to do with behavior. Behavior matters. So the the passage we just read, let's put it in some context for for us, shall we? Uh, It's at the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 2 in John's account of the good news of Jesus. And because it's near the beginning, it's part of the introduction of who Jesus is. So it's helpful to just think about how John constructed his his gospel and what he puts before this passage and, and how it moves on. Well, as many of you will know, John starts his gospel with this wonderful set of verses that are like an overture, um, introducing the big themes of his story. So he talks about this mysterious figure whose identity is only understood by a few people. He talks in terms of the light of the world that would not be understood initially, but would eventually be seen in all of God's glory. And then once this overture is is complete, he then moves on to the story in earnest. And he starts with the character of John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the desert talking about an unknown figure, a mysterious character who says, amongst you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And he refers to him as the Lamb of God. In fact, John even points his own disciples away from himself towards this Lamb of God. And a handful of his followers start to follow Jesus. And Jesus picks up other followers as well. So this small group begins to gather around him. And then in chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, there's this odd miracle 
It seems odd to me. There's nothing else quite like it in the Bible. This is the story of the turning of water into wine. And it, it almost seems a reluctant miracle on behalf, on behalf of Jesus because he says to his mother at the time, he says, my time has not yet come. And yet he does this miracle in secret to a large extent because it's only the servants who know about it. So that's what's happened up to this point in John's Gospel. And then the passage we just read is given to us. And there's a rough edge to Jesus here, isn't there? As he emerges into the public consciousness of Israel. The Passover, of course, which is the time when this event took place, the Passover is a major part of the Jewish celebrations, uh, the annual celebrations that they would enjoy as festivals. Uh, and Jesus and his disciples go up to Jerusalem. Up because Jerusalem's up on a hill, so wherever you're coming from, you're going up to Jerusalem. And, and uh, in this context, John doesn't choose a miracle or a wise teaching to introduce Jesus to the public, but a piece of deliberate anarchy. This isn't Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but Jesus as a troublemaker. Jesus is one who stirs things up. Jesus as a rebel and a threat to those in authority. This is something John wants to bring out in his gospel. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because especially those of us who've believed and been followers of Jesus for many years and may have become quite comfortable with a quite passive Jesus. If we're truly to follow him, are there times when we are called to be troublemakers, overturning injustice, challenging wrong behaviors? So in the context of our theme of discovering Jesus, who is it who actually meets with Jesus in this passage? Well, there's, there are three groups of people, actually, who meet with Jesus. First of all, there's the, the people selling animals and exchanging money in the temple. And secondly, there's the group called the Jews, which is odd because they're all Jews in the story. But the Jews here means the people who are in authority, the people who run the temple. And the third group are the ordinary people, uh, the punters, if you like, those who've come to the temple to worship. So let's just run through those three groups and think about how their encounters with Jesus are different. Well, first of all, the traders, the traders in the temple. This is not just any commercial market. They were selling uh, specifically animals, doves, sheep, cattle, specifically for sacrifices or for religious feasts. And they had within the setup money changes because only certain currency was considered uh, holy enough to be used within the temple. And because there were Jews coming from all over different countries to come to Jerusalem for the Passover, there was a lot of money to be changed. And you could say, well, these traders, they were providing a service. They were there to enable people to 
you know, you didn't want everybody turning up with their own animals and bringing a lot of uh, animals into the, the city. So they were providing a service, yes, but the implication here is that they were also turning quite a profit. They were taking advantage of the situation as they changed the money and then as they sold. They had a monopoly on the system. Interestingly, this is not the only time that Jesus did this act of turning over the tables. This story we've just read is very near the beginning of his ministry, which lasted for about three years. But in the last week of his life, Jesus does the same thing in the temple, turning over the tables. And at that time, he says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Those phrases, a house of prayer and a den of robbers, those were specifically taken from some of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And that den of robbers reference particularly indicates that this was not an entirely honest endeavor. And of course, the Passover feast not only was a big celebration, but it was when the lamb was killed and eaten. This was specifically the, uh, the moment when the Israelites celebrated that big centerpiece of God's redemptive power for Israel historically. They celebrated the miracles that led up the ten plagues that had led to their escape from captivity to Egypt and the subsequent journeys that took place. And picking up John's theme of God's mysterious man at work through his unrecognized presence among them, we get a foretaste, don't we, of Jesus, the true Lamb of God, at Passover, amongst the people, but they don't recognize him. Because what has taken center stage in the temple is not the redemptive power of God, but profit and commerce. So this is the first meeting, the first encounter. These are the traders, and their meeting with Jesus was disruptive challenging and shocking to them. And sometimes God may meet with us in this way because behavior matters. Behavior matters. Everything gets thrown up in the air and life's comfortable norms are no longer there. And it's a time to rethink what's important in your life. Sometimes God really challenges us about the things we've come to accept as routine and normal and acceptable. So the second group of people who encounter Jesus, the Jews, the people in charge of the temple. And I think it's true to say that through all the Gospels, Jesus is most harsh to those in positions of authority who have compromised justice and spiritual integrity. And it's easy for us to judge them harshly, but we must ask ourselves if we would not have done the same in their situation. But they come to Jesus and they challenge him with a version of, who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing this? Are you disrupting the status quo? It's a Latin phrase, isn't it, status quo? They might have used that word. It just occurred to me. But they then demand... Show us a miracle. 
Show us a miracle. It's clear here, and in verse 23 of the passage that we read, that Jesus was performing miracles at this time. Although, as I said, John's gospel doesn't concentrate on those, and he has far fewer accounts of miracles than the other gospels. But when they demand this, Jesus doesn't show them a miracle. He, He replies with a riddle. He says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we understand what he meant. He was referring to his own body as the temple. And when they destroyed it, when they killed him, it would come back. He would come back within three days, his own death and resurrection. But there was no way that that group of people would have understood it. Neither would have his disciples at this stage. This was early in his ministry. So Jesus gives them what appears to be quite a frustrating and confusing riddle as an answer. So they're they're meeting with Jesus raised more questions than it answered. And I think sometimes God deals with us in this way. He invites us to continue to question, to continue to, to mull over things, to ponder things. We don't get clear answers sometimes when we're encountering Jesus. But important questions continue to emerge. It's significant that the passage immediately after the one we've read is about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of the people in this group, the Jews, the people in authority. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he comes to Jesus immediately after this story at night because he's got more questions. And perhaps this is something that resonates with your current experience. Perhaps you're going through a time at the moment when you need to step back and keep asking some questions. Maybe it's about behavior, maybe it's about other things. But sometimes our encounter with Jesus can be one in which we ask questions and we don't always get clear answers, but we still keep seeking And then the third group of people, the crowd, the punters, the ordinary people, they probably saw this act of of disruption, this turning of the tables as a positive thing, especially if they felt that they were being taken advantage of by the traders and the authorities, those who set the rules. Here was a breath of fresh air. Here was someone speaking up for the underdog. And Jesus' miracles that were happening aren't specifically recorded in John's Gospel, just referred to, they caught their attention as well. So who was this unqualified itinerant preacher from the wrong side of the tracks who stood up for social justice and spiritual integrity? They were getting a glimpse of God at work, shedding his light in the darkness of a troubled world. John's themes of this mysterious man of God. And they're meeting with Jesus. At a distance, albeit they were just onlookers. But their meeting with Jesus was exciting. It was refreshing. It was enticing. But also maybe a little bit dangerous. Just what would it mean to engage with this Jesus? If he challenged the behavior of the temple courts, might he also challenge our own behavior as we go about our daily lives? And perhaps this is where we are now, Onlookers thinking about Jesus, 
deciding whether to follow him. Or maybe you've been following him for a while, but you've stood back and you want to re-engage, capturing the thrill of what being a follower of this radical rebel who challenges us to be better because behavior matters. For those in the crowd who did take that step of faith and followed Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, they would go on to have great adventures over the next few years. Not always joyful, certainly not easy, but always pushing them towards God's love for them and towards God himself. And I would encourage you to take that step now if you haven't already. Or if you're on that road, to step out once more and encounter Jesus, the radical rebel who stirs things up. So, which of these three encounters do you recognize in yourself this morning? Is it the Jesus who turns over the tables and challenges what you've come to accept as normal in your life? Is it the Jesus who leaves your questions unanswered for the moment and invites you to keep seeking, like Nicodemus? Or is it the Jesus that stirs your heart to follow him and take his offer of a full, abundant life? We're going to sing a song now, and after this song we're going to share communion together. If you've not uh, prepared at home, please take this opportunity to get a bread, piece of bread and, and some drink to share in communion. But this song itself focuses on recognizing that tremendous gift of grace that allows us to come freely into God's presence. No money changes hands, no sacrifice needed, not to be purchased because the sacrifice is Jesus himself already freely given for us.